Hello and welcome to episode 23 of The Connected Generation. My name is Nike Alani and I'm your host. Today's episode was a conversation with Kimberly Ofori and she has a fascinating background in entrepreneurship. Very bold lady that has built various ventures and today her passion, her jam is really about scaling up businesses. So I coined her the scale up queen. <laughs> um, her line of work is so important, right? Um, when we think about it in Africa, there's an entrepreneurial buzz on this continent, but we haven't yet really cracked scaling up to maximize the impact of our businesses. How can we scale, right? That's what we talked about in this conversation. She's a well of information, so tuning and enjoy. Hi, Kimberly. Welcome to Connected Generation. It's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, it's awesome. So can you um, introduce yourself and explain the work that you do and how it is that you ended up working in this space? Yes, so absolutely. Um, So yeah, uh, my name is Kimberly. I was born and raised in Amsterdam, the Netherlands to my Ghanaian father and Suriname mother. Um, For those of you who don't know, that's a small country in South America. And I, at a certain point in my life, decided that I wanted to step out of the ordinary and try different things. One of those things being entrepreneurship. And so I went out and I started a number of businesses, ranging from digital platform solutions to human resource and um, other things. And some ventures were more successful than others. I have been fortunate enough to have sold Uh, two businesses, but most importantly, my journey into entrepreneurship provided me with a tremendous amount of knowledge, industry insights, and really hands-on experience concerning the founding and the scaling of a startup. Uh, So I quite recently sold my online social networking platform for entrepreneurs to a U.S. investor, uh, which was another great experience. And as of today, aside from working on a couple of new uh, exciting ventures, I'm a scale-up consultant training management teams of rapidly growing businesses with revenues ranging from two to 100 million euros on how best to structure their organizations for the next levels of growth. And I also consult organizations on business model design and strategic innovation. I'm also a business mentor at the Founder Institute and at uh, FemStart. That's awesome. Um, So many things to talk about. So as next gen, many next gens will start off their businesses, either in parallel with the family business or as entrepreneurships, you know, new ventures under the family business umbrella. So this is really, really an area that is of keen interest for, for us next gens. How do we scale? So from your experience, what are the challenges in moving past, you know, startup to scale what what are the impediments that get in the way that stop us from achieving scale and how can um, entrepreneurs try to mitigate against these right i think um 
at the foundation, um, usually what happens is that the amount of change that needs to happen and the transformation that needs to happen in this transition um, can be quite overwhelming. And quite frankly, a lot of founders uh, didn't set out to, to scale the business, especially in Africa. Those businesses were uh, mostly started out of a necessity or a need. Um, and so once they do reach the point where for whatever reason, they feel like, you know, they want to scale. Um, they do not have the knowledge uh, on what, what are the first steps? What do we need to do? What actually needs to happen within the organization that would make it a scalable uh, business? And then you also have the hurdle of the know-how. Know so even if you are able to Google and find your way through online courses, the execution thereof is a challenge. So that is what you usually see happening. And this is where a lot of startups will fail in scaling and either decide to just stay small because it's easy, it's comfortable, and, you know, they're just going to try to make it work, or they get so demotivated and they actually end up, you know, going back to either their cor corporate life or doing something else. Mm -hmm. There's a really key point in that implement implementation is everything, right? You know, the right. devil is in the detail, as is often said. Um, yeah. It's one thing to identify an opportunity it's then another thing to be able to implement in such a way that we maximize the impact. And that really is where, you know, um, attention to detail and execution skills are really needed, right? You mentioned that you are um, part Latin American and part Ghanaian. That's really interesting because Latin America shares similar cultural characteristics with Africa. How have you had much experience in entrepreneurship with in Latin America or has your focus been with the African market? Uh, so it's funny it's actually uh, by the way South America um, and I, I think for me I was raised with by my mother who is from Suriname and uh, my father who is from Ghana he was present but I wasn't raised with kind of that cultural heritage or understanding you know what it means to be a Ghanaian or an African even and being born and raised in the Netherlands which is a predominantly white country it wasn't cool to be African either and so I had you know growing up my understanding of what Africa was was really how most white people viewed Africa which is you know they need aid um, all the kids are poor and have flies on their cheeks and so for me that was what I understood from what could come out of Africa, which was either poverty and then you had wildlife, animals, and perhaps uh, music. And so I was raised um, having that view of Africa and then from Suriname, because Suriname was a colony of the Netherlands for so long, I mean, they, the Surinamese speak Dutch. Um, they, they still do. Um, their official language, part of their official language is Dutch. They are in the Netherlands very much integrated in the society and the culture. And so I was raised under, with the perception that, okay, those that came here were better off and you know, those that were in Suriname kind of were just living their traditional lives, a relaxed, laid back life, but we're coming here for a better life. And so that entrepreneurial aspect of things, I didn't see from my South American side, I actually started realizing how entrepreneurial 
Africa was when I first went there alone at the age of 13. And that is when I actually saw, you know, how, you know, on just the basics, how everybody was making a business out of something. It didn't, it was, anything could be sold. Like, you know, you know how it is. You're driving on the street and you can get water, you can get, you can soap, you can get a machine, you can get, you know, you can get anything on the street while at the traffic light. And that's somebody's business. Um, but also people who were doing it in a bigger way. And so a, a few of my uncles were very successful businessmen. Uh, my father had always been very entrepreneurial, always finding something to do in Ghana that he could build. And so when I grew up uh, uh, going back to Ghana more often after that, I started getting into that scene and seeing that, wow, there is so much coming out of Africa that is actually really good. That is not just selling plantain. That was really comprehensive organizations. Those were products that were from on global standards that just needed access uh, to resources to really grow. So that is that that's I my perception of then my perception of what is possible in Africa really changed. And then obviously the internet happened and social media happened and then we saw an explosion of innovation and brands coming out. Um, incubation pro uh, programs and this is when I really started to uh, dig deep into wow what are the opportunities here because there's a lot and a lot of these western companies were coming in buying these MVPs and then making it look like you know this is something they <laughs> they designed in the west and um, yeah so that's really what my first experience was uh, of seeing entrepreneurship in in um, in, in those two um, parts of the world that's really interesting and so you mentioned innovation um in your view businesses or entrepreneurs that are looking to scale up how can they implement technology or innovate to ensure that they beat so to speak COVID-19 we can't have a conversation in 2020 and not acknowledge <laughs> the Rona <laughs> um, so what, what tips and what tips do you have for, um, for those that are thinking of tech and innovation, um, how they can fuse that into their businesses? So um, I think what is happening uh, across the continent in Africa is so interesting. And that is that we are now leveraging the power of internet and technology and increased access to solving real problems. And you see that those are the startups that are getting funding right now, especially in this pandemic, because they're solving problems that, they, that are relevant right now, that need solutions right now, and are also probably the future. <laughs> and so if you're looking at um, you know, your next step, or you know, if you're not sure whether or not your business model is, is still aligned with what has happened in your market, I would suggest and highly recommend looking at going back to ground zero and looking at what has changed in the behaviors and the environment um, that you are operational in. Because we are now finding that um, if you are in the tourism industry, when you, when once the borders open, uh, when you're able to travel, people are going to have different needs. They're going to have different expectations. And so 
it's either you're going to tap into that with your technology or you're going to lag behind. And the same is with um, in healthcare. Now we're seeing a huge amount of companies getting funding who are now directly connecting consumers to doctors that directly uh, bypassing hospitals for medication, for treatment, doctors coming to patients directly uh, through mobile applications, making appointments and having consultations via video apps that are especially in a secure environment for you to share your medical history. And so these are groundbreaking um, um, changes, but also this interestingly enough very needed in Africa because how many times have you heard people not being able to get the treatment that they need because they can't travel or the infrastructure is not there for them to get the medicine and so now we're having drones delivering to villages um, and saving lives um, more so because now there is an attention to actually expanding that and getting they're getting funding for these operations and so now we're having, uh, instead of us saying, you know, we have to build more roads, which we know is not, you know, you, know, <laughs> you can build a lot of roads, but it doesn't really solve the, the, the problem. Now we're seeing that we're bypassing that and leveraging technology for uniquely African problems. And I think that's where a huge opportunity lies for us now. Those are excellent opportunities that you've articulated. And so, um, you know, if, I'm a next gen and I've got this startup business that, you know, has been hemorrhaged in COVID-19. Um, how can I scale my business despite the seeming resistance and friction, declining revenues, declining cash flows? What, what, what would you suggest in, this, in, this, in these particular times that we face, how business owners can scale? So it's funny, I published an article on a similar topic just this morning, this afternoon, about scalability and why you should have scalability implemented in your business model from day one. And if you didn't, now is a good time to look at it. Because um, at any point in your journey, you can become uh, you can look at how you can become more scalable. Even if you are in the services industry, um, which is, you know, it's, it's you know, your, your scalability is usually very much attached by the human capital that you can uh, put out and the hours that you can put in. But there are other things that you can make more scalable, which is your, your, your online offering. So there are things that you can do as a, as a startup um, that are going to make you more scalable. And when you're looking at the finance part of it, I gave an example in my article about how frugal Google is when they are rolling out solutions. So when they are building platforms and building new products, they look at the cheapest possible way to do it. They don't try to pump in all the money at the same time because they understand that if this thing scales, it's going to cost them 20 times as much to keep up with it. And so they need to have a solution that is easy to maintain, that doesn't take a lot of time, manpower, and is scalable in a way that they can, that the, the cost is never going to be higher than the profit. So when you're looking at solutions that you want to implement within your business, if you want to change your business model, look at, okay, if I am serving 5,000 customers in a month, how much is that going to require from my business? 
and in terms of hours, in terms of resources, and look at how that looks financially. Look at how that looks with your capacity. Look at how that looks in terms of uh, the delivery time, and then quality. And those, those are the things that you want to perfect. You don't need to have a business model that could cater to the whole world, but your business model should be so agile and open for iteration that anytime you are upscaling, scaling up, sorry, you will have the opportunity to do so with minimal costs or with minimal effort because you've already set the uh, the, the, the foundation for it. So that really means practically, if you are now working with two people and those with those two people, your maximum capacity is to produce 500 of whatever your product is. That means that if you are going to want to serve thousand people, you're going to have to look at either how can we become more productive with the two of us or who do I need? It doesn't have to be a full-time person, but what do I need in the chain of development to delivery that is going to make that a scalable operation? So really, it's about being really data-driven in our decision-making and, you know, being called to be more analytical. And coming from the world of family business, um, particularly um, where we have founders who tend to be more intuitive, um, right. Do you have any tips for next gens that may be facing difficulty in trying to change the culture to be more data driven in decision making? How do you how? So I think that's a very interesting one, especially when coming out of, of when you are in a family business. Um, a lot of the times you have inherited also a, a culture and a way of working and a way of doing things. And so the expectations are, even though not said, is that you are going to continue along the same lines. Even though they want you to do better, they also don't want you to change that much. And so the challenge therein is, is if, you are, if you have decided to be the next leader of that business and you've both agreed that you are the best suitable person to lead the company into the next decade or so, then um, that means that you also have to stand up for what you believe is going to be right based on the data that you are acquiring. So that also means probably challenging the person that actually handed over the reins to you. And a great example is one of our uh, clients who um, had, had been in business for uh, over 80 years uh, in carpentry, and they had one customer, and that was a, was a national, um, a national um, retailer, and they only built uh, uh, supplies for them. That, that company went bankrupt just a few years ago, and that means your business just went bankrupt. But the son took over and he said, we are going to use the same um, heritage and the story and our expertise as our strength, but we are going to attract a new kind of customer. And so they went to the new brand, the newer brands, so the Nikes and the Adidas and all of those retail stores who also had physical stores and said, we have been doing this for 80 years. We can do it for you and we can do it at 
scale. And so what happened was that that company that was doing over uh, around 500,000 euros a year was now making 50 million euros a year just by changing who they are targeting and not putting all their eggs in one basket. And so the only thing that happened here was that this son um, took, first of all, um, his position uh, uh, very seriously and said, I'm going to change the, the, our target audience and our core customer and look at more modern brands who are, that would make us more scalable. Um, but also he was uh, able to convince his, his father to give him the space to do so. So I think this really comes uh, back to doing your research, making sure that what you are saying can be backed up because intuition is great and sometimes you have to go by that. But I think we are living, we're living in, in a day and age where we can always acquire some data, even if it's word uh, from, from somebody who is uh, an expert in the field and using that to base your decisions on, on okay, maybe our business needs to focus on a different group because these are different times and then seeing that exponential growth that your um your your father or the people before you were hoping you would have achieved that's excellent and you mentioned that you know when we're starting businesses as next gens or whoever we should set them up for scalability at inception embedded in the business model design what about the scenario where that wasn't the case and say for instance it was set up by a founder and now it's next gen and um yet we desire to scale are there any steps we can take to scale in spite of the fact that the foundation wasn't you know built with skill in mind yeah i think most legacy businesses, especially in the Western world, were not based on scalability at the time. And so um, either they were born out of, you know, necessity during wars or recessions, or they were born out of just having too much money and being able to do something. Um, but what happens is that um, if there's no scalability embedded in the business model, it gives you even more opportunity now because you already established, hopefully there is some cash flow, but even if that's not the case, you are able to go back to ground zero. It's never too late, and that's what I always tell founders, it's never too late to go back to the drawing board and say, what do we have? What is the market doing now? And how are we able to play into that? Because scalability is not something that, oh, you had one chance to do it and you missed it. You can always go back and decide that we are going to improve our uh, scalability within the company. And you don't have to do it immediately on all areas because that's usually not possible. But implementing, uh, you know, step by step, looking at, okay, first of all, um, how can we start with automation, which is a very simple and low kind of um, effort way to scale your operations you can automate your finances a lot of the times you can automate your customer service to a certain point and having that in place already takes a lot of man hours back from those uh, operations and putting them back into a position where you can be strategically looking at okay what else can we improve so scalability is not just about growth. It's about making your organization more efficient. And so if that means that you can take, you know, somebody off of 
doing responding to emails an entire day because you have automated that process that person is actually really good at being customer facing and getting new customers in then that is what you are able to to make your business that's where you are able to make your business more efficient because you're now using and putting the right people in the right place so scalability having scalability in mind should always be about improvement and improvement can then lead to growth but it doesn't have to be your um your um your goal if that's not the case but it's all about making sure that your organization can run as smoothly as it possibly can with or without you. That's what your goal would be. So that if anybody else would come in today, they would be able to lead the operations fairly the same level as, as you would have done, not knowing the business. And that's such an important point, the distinction between efficiency and growth. And because what I see is, a lot of entrepreneurs are just embroiled and tied up in their businesses and what was supposed to be a source of financial freedom yeah. actually imprisons them in terms of their time. And yeah. it's the point where even if they're on a holiday, they're constantly checking emails. And so it's a really, really important point that we scalability also ensures that we're efficient and it frees us up so we can actually enjoy the money that we're, we're trying to build you know by building yes. these empires and, and the rest of it and so it's, it, it comes back to a question of values um why are we setting up businesses is part of freedom one of the aspirations and usually it is but along the way um Unfortunately, we wrongly think that some things can only be done by ourselves and we can't necessarily delegate or we just (laughs) get stuck in the doing, working in the business, not working on the business so we can be free. Um, Exactly. So, yeah, this is a really important point that you are mentioning. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's something that um, a lot, I think every entrepreneur at some point in their journey has to deal with that transition phase of having to do everything yourself because you did have to do everything yourself in the beginning but now being able to delegate and not you then not being willing or um, not trusting enough um, or having that kind of mindset where you understand that delegation will give you more space to actually grow the business and so a lot of the times what I tell founders is even if that person of course it feels like you're giving away your baby to somebody who's less qualified than you. But you need to understand that even if that, if that person can hold your baby and get, hold the bottle for that 10 minutes that you are able to, to go to a customer, you both win, right? The baby is happy, taken care of. You may have put a blanket on the baby as well, was it really necessary? Probably not, but that's the extra care that you would have given. But was it really bad? No, that's probably the most efficient thing that you have done that day, making sure that if there are two people in there, that they're not, that you are not both trying to halfway calm the baby when one person can focus on one thing and one person can focus on the other thing, and now we have both cleared two goals. And so for a lot of entrepreneurs, that is a very challenging transition, and scary move to make to say that I'm handing in some responsibility of something that I built with my blood, sweat and tears 
and hoping that they will treat it the same way. They're probably not going to treat it the same way, but that's okay. If you have uh, hired somebody, and that's why I always say hiring is one of the most important things that you can do, hiring the right people. If you, were, if you trusted that person enough to come into your company and work with you, if you have done it the right way, then you should be able to trust that person with and delegate to them so that you can start working on the business, like you said. Yeah, that's such wisdom. And um, you mentioned that, you know, you, you're like a, in your past life, you had several businesses and you sold some. I imagine during that season, you had difficult seasons in, as an entrepreneur. How did you deal with those? And do you have any tips for entrepreneurs in this current, really uncertain, disruptive, difficult world for how to sail through? Right. I think for me, first of all, I made it very difficult for myself. I think by choice, by just uh, not reaching out early enough to people who could do better, um, who could help me, who had expertise. And so I struggled for a long time doing things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, trying to be the technical person, trying to be the salesperson, the marketing person, the customer service person. All of these roles I was taking on at a time that I was actually in a position to hand it over. So I made it very difficult for myself in that sense, but also I am naturally very introverted and I am very much a person who would um, engage in a conversation if somebody starts it with me. But if you're running a business, you know, nobody is going to just magically find you and start having a conversation with you. And so I delayed a lot of my progress by not reaching out to people and hoping they would magically Google and find me. And so I think that reach, uh, telling yourself early on that you are going to have to constantly step out of your comfort zone with everything is key. It's such a mindset shift that we underestimate because even if you think you are posting on social media, if you're just posting pictures of your product, people get tired and people don't understand and people don't can relate. And so once I started putting out the story behind how I found it, uh, for instance, the Apreneur Network, who I was, what my background was, that is when investors and, and people were coming to me and having interesting conversations with me. And so I made it easy for myself um, by just telling my story, but it was such a hurdle for me. And so I think that was one of the major things that affected a lot of like businesses that I had started that could have grown faster, that could have been more successful. Um, and I think one of the major mistakes that I made is assume that if I was able to do one or two successful businesses that I am just an expert at everything. And so the next business is naturally going to be great. So I finally started a, a recruitment agency online for Ghana for graduates and I wanted it to be a video portal and they were going to just use video resumes and they were just going to do video interviews and it was all going to be digital and I was going to save people so much money and travel time and people were going to be selected based on skills and not based on their resumes anymore and based on click and culture and then I, I, I started reaching out to these businesses having not done my research they were like where's the resume like why would I want to see a video of somebody that I don't I don't know whether they have the qualifications 
why, and they were asking me all of these questions that I was trying to sell them they didn't need to ask. And what happened was this, that I didn't educate myself on the fact that I was going to have to educate my market. They were not even familiar with the idea of having video resumes, what the, the worth was. I just assumed they would logically think that was a good idea. And also, I really underestimated and didn't do my research on what market am I operational in. This was Ghana in 2014, where, uh, 2014, where people were still going to internet cafes for, an, uh, for like paying for 15 minutes, 20 minutes of internet access. And so how am I asking them to do video interviews in an internet cafe? <laughs> and then also, you know, with internet stability not being a thing, HR managers not even using computers most of the time. So doing your research before you go, in, before you go into, into the market is so important because your product might be amazing, but if it doesn't fit with who you're trying to reach or if the timing isn't right, your product is never going to see the light of day. And so that, that flopped very quickly. And I think that it was, it was a, a, a very interesting uh, and life lesson for me. I thought, oh, my hands were magic now because I, I had been able to build those two companies and sell. So everything I do naturally is going to work. And so never feel like you're smarter than, um, then, then, then I never feel like you're, you're smart enough. Always learn, always be curious, always try to find the data behind your assumptions. That, that, that's such wisdom. And I think it takes some level of vulnerability to even Definitely. explore this arena of, I may not know it all. Um, I might need to peel the onion a little bit more to dig deep on those assumptions I've made or um, to connect with someone that is a bit more better versed in this area that you don't have that much expertise in. And I think vulnerability is such powerful strength. So vulnerability enables us to co-create, so to co-create yeah. ideas. Yeah. And we shouldn't shy away from it. It's uncomfortable, but really it's what leads to strength. So I'll ask you just one last question, just very intrigued. You're the scale-up queen. What's your dream? <laughs> That's how you're the scale-up queen. That's who you are, Kimberly. What is your dream? What do you want to see um, from helping all these entrepreneurs and scaling their businesses? What's the outcome? What, what is your passion? What is all this about? Quite honestly, uh, when I uh, got a true understanding of what impact entrepreneurship means, um, and what it can do for communities, for countries, for continents, looking at Asia. I think a lot of the things that I'm doing now is hoping for um, businesses to be sustainable and leaving legacies behind and legacies that a country, that countries can build upon. And so my focus has been on Africa for this because, well, obviously Europe has had a little help with uh, where they got their funds from <laughs> but uh, no shade but yeah. shade yeah no shade <laughs> <laughs> we forgive but I think that you know for us to really rebuild my dream is that Africa reaches its full potential and then some by the people for the people and that I believe lies in all of these entrepreneurial 
um, uh, initiatives and all of these small SMEs that are growing, not necessarily in revenues, but in impact. What are they doing? What problems are they solving for us so that our ecosystems are now functioning, that there are even ecosystems to, to start with, and that are employing people, that are educating people, that are healing people, that are feeding people. That is what I want, because we're coming off of this age of getting aid so that we don't get out of poverty and now we are getting into the age where the new generation understands that whatever money that we are uh, are seeking to, to to receive needs to go back directly impacting our communities and so my dream really with helping companies to scale is that we all have a collective um impact and um, all have like a little bit of input um, in making the, creating the Africa that we want. Beautiful. So it's about legacy and legacy is so important. Legacy is like planting the seeds to a tree and not necessarily within your generation seeing that tree shoots up and bud for someone else to benefit from that tree. So that's really inspiring, Kimberly. Really inspiring vision. It's been fantastic having you here. Um, should anyone want to get in touch with the Scale Up Queen, how can they get in touch with you? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you can reach me on, uh, I love connecting on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn, Kimberly Ofori. Um, I'm also on all social networks uh, nowadays. I'm not as active as I probably should be, but you can find me at, at Ofori Kimberly. And um, yeah, let's connect. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. So many reflections. I mean, for me, I think the biggest takeaway is the importance of skill, right? Um, I think with skill is it's magical almost. Right, the impact doesn't grow linearly, it grows exponentially. So, as you scale, the impact you have on communities, on the family, on you know, generating employment, tax revenues is exponential. So, it's really important in this side of the world um, that we crack scale. We need to take the time to acquire the right knowledge and know-how such that we can either build businesses from scratch that are scalable or that we can modify our existing family businesses so they are scalable. I love the fact that it's never too late to think about skill. Ideally, we want to do it from inception, but Kimberly really did paint a picture whereby we can still modify our existing businesses um, after they've been operating for several years such that they are scalable. So there's always hope. So thank you so much for tuning in this week. Take good care and God bless you.